even empathy to him. Even influence to him. That he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, saw it. They Awesome. Uh, what a great way to uh, have the scripture read to us. And I hope that you were able to, not that you want to look past the cuteness, but you were able to look past the cuteness a little bit to actually hear the scripture as it was read to us. Because that's where we're going to be uh, looking today. And it's in Luke's uh, gospel. Uh, Jesus said this, I'll re remind you of a couple of the lines here that we'll be looking at. Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, uh, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then Jesus said, whoever does not, this is so important, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, three words, like a child shall not enter it. See, there are many people who believe in God, but actually who have no criteria in, criteria in place to determine how that relationship with God actually works to ensure that they have a relationship with him, or to use Jesus' language from this passage, to ensure that they belong to the kingdom of God. And we should think about what it takes to belong to his kingdom, to be in relationship with him. And that's something he wants. He went as far as to send his one and only son. He loved us so much. He sent his one and only son so that a way would be made for us to be in relationship with him. And so if you're here today and you weren't aware that God really wants that two-way relationship with you, then please hear it. That's what he wants. And I want you to think about this even more in terms of what it takes, having criteria in place. What does it take to be in relationship with God? Because we have all these human relationships, all these horizontal relationships, and we think about the criteria for those relationships all the time. We're in uh, marriages, we, we have friends, we have workplace relationships, we have parents, even with our neighbors. There's a sense of what it takes to have the relationship. There are mechanisms in place to actually get into the relationship and to help us when the relationship is strained to see that reconciled. In other words, in all of our human relationships, we know whether we're in or we're out. And yet, there are people who don't give any thought at all to whether or not they're in or out with God and what it would take to have a relationship with him. 
they somehow have fallen into a place where they think that it's okay to live life the way they want it, believe in him, live life the way they want it, pay no regard to God whatsoever, and that somehow at the end of their life, God will simply allow them to enter heaven and to be with him forever. Only that isn't at all the way it works. And we'll see that in today's passage. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what does God say about getting right with him? What does God say? That's all that matters. What does God say about how we get right with him? And that's what Jesus was getting at in his words about children in this uh, incident with the children. Getting right with God means what? Do you want to go after that? Let's get the answer to that. Everybody ready for that? Just say ready. All right, so let's get after this. First of all, uh, admitting, this is where we start, admitting I can't do it by myself. Admitting that I can't do it by myself, that is to say, and this is something of a dirty word to adults, you know, this is admitting that I'm dependent, that I'm dependent on someone else. Now, notice the first verse, we'll have the passage up on the screen, the first part of the first verse. Now they, that's parents, were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Parents were bringing their babies to have Jesus bless their babies. You can totally see moms doing that. You heard about Jesus and, and the miracles he'd been doing and the teaching and how he was just impacting so many lives. And I want you to bless my baby. Well, of course they were doing this. And for their part now in it, the kids didn't really have a choice. I mean, it's clear here that there were infants being brought to Jesus, and though those infants are utterly helpless and, here's our word, completely dependent. Utterly helpless and completely dependent. They're infants. They can't feed themselves. They can't dress themselves. They're still pooping their pants. Can we, can we say that in church? Pooping their pants on Easter Sunday? An infant is 100% dependent on his or her parents. Now set that thought aside for a second as we think about the core of what we believe. Namely this, that salvation, the means by which we get into a relationship with God, salvation, the means by which we are forgiven of our sins, is by grace alone, that is to say it is unearned and undeserved. It is by grace alone through faith alone. The only way you get it is by expressing faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk a lot more about that in a few minutes. It is by grace alone through faith alone, not of works. In other words, we are 100% dependent on God to get into this relationship with him. Now, children, infants, if they could think about such things, and they don't, because they just come naturally into this, but children get that their parents are going to house them and clothe them and protect them and feed them and bathe them and teach them. Infants are the quintessential freeloader. <laughs> they depend on their parents for everything. And for them, it's really, it's all, for an infant, it's all receive, receive, receive. They don't give very much back. And what they do give back needs to be taken out to the curb. <laughs> I 
And if you're going to get this, here's the parallel that needs to be made is this is exactly the same way we come into a relationship with Christ. It's receive, it's receive, it's receive. And whatever we give back isn't worth giving. It's received as a gift. Sadly, in some ways, over time, as we rear our children, they lose this sense of dependence because they get less and less dependent. And in fact, the job of a parent, of a good parent, is actually to help your children become adult and to become less dependent or to become more independent. We get that that's the role as a parent, but something's actually lost along the way when we do that. That there is this unintended consequence of teaching your children to be independent, and it is that you lose this um, sense of how, if I can use this word, easy it is to come into a relationship with God because you understand dependency. We lose that more and more the older and older that we get. But an infant has it, dependent. That any adult hoping to get into a relationship with God has to receive this kingdom as a child, like a child, meaning dependently. You can't do it by yourself. It flies in the face of the very notion of adulthood. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to provide for ourselves in that way. But I need to look at my relationship with God entirely differently than that. In fact, I was thinking about Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 3, and the very first of the Beatitudes, which he uses to introduce the Sermon on the Mount, the very first of the Beatitudes is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, that phrase simply means, blessed are those who have come to the end of themselves. They've come to the end of themselves. Those who realize they have nothing to offer. In essence, to be poor of spirit is to throw yourself at the mercy of God and say you're completely dependent on Him for everything. I bring nothing to the table. I can't do it by myself. In fact, like an infant, it's not just that I can't do it by myself. It's that I can't do it at all. I need God to do it. I need Him to save me. So that's, um, that gets us started. Getting right uh, with God um, means um, admitting I can't do it by myself. It also means uh, this, ignoring all objections. Now, verse 15 continues, and when the disciples saw it, when they saw these parents trying to bring these infants and trying to get to Jesus so he would bless them, when the disciples saw that, they kind of, you know, stepped in the way, like Jesus' secret service kind of thing. You know, they're going to protect him. They're going to keep these awful parents away from Jesus because after all, don't you know who he is? Don't you know that his time is too important to be spent with children? Don't you know that he ought to be spending time with people who can really appreciate the things that he's teaching? He doesn't have time for this. It's pretty sad that they missed out on this. Jesus' closest followers, the ones who have been trailing along behind him throughout his entire journey in Galilee and Judea, the ones who are hearing him teach all the amazing things he's teaching. I mean, this is Luke 18, so they've been at it a while. I mean, we're getting ready in just a couple of more episodes and they're entering the city of Jerusalem and the passion is going to begin. 
So let's say they've been walking around with him for almost three years listening to him and somehow along the way they missed the fact that he loves kids and he might want to spend time with them, that he values them and esteems them. Now to be fair to the disciples, they're reflecting the prevailing attitude of the day, which was that children weren't that valuable. And in the developing world and in, in the ancient Near East where uh, infant mortality was so high, maybe it was just like a protection thing. We're just not going to think about kids too much or esteem them too highly because so many of them actually die before they get out of infancy. And many die in child. I don't know what it was. But these disciples are really reflecting exactly what's going on in the culture of the day. So it's to be expected that they would object to this waste as they saw it, of the master's time. Now, so here we have these disciples kind of standing in the way objecting to what Jesus really wants to do and what these parents want. And for us, we think about objections to the message of the gospel. Uh, these objections can come from all sides. And not surprisingly, because we see it right here in the text, even those who follow Jesus Christ can get in the way of other people following Christ. That sometimes believers are the ones that keep unbelievers from becoming believers. Now that can happen for a lot of reasons because the reality is that sometimes we can be jerks. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> it's true. We can be jerks. We can act like complete idiots. We can make fools of ourselves. We can let people know, I'm a Christ follower. I go to church every week. Come to my church. Here's an invitation. And then in the workplace, you don't act like you're one at all. Or your neighbors look over the fence and they're like, that guy's a Christian? Or people in your own family who know you best are like, like you're, I mean, there's just no consistency. You're saying this when you're with these people and you're living this out when you're in the house. I mean, so obviously believers can get in the way of people becoming believers. Is that a shock to anybody? Or churches. I mean, you just, I don't need to go through all the examples, but there's so many examples of churches that have just not stood up for children, not stood up for women, not done the thing they're supposed to be doing, and become so ingrown and so about themselves and not living out the gospel. And people are like, why would I go to church? Okay, so we got that established, correct? Sometimes we can get in the way. We can be the objection to people coming to faith in Christ. And then people have a, a whole bunch of objections of their own. Okay, forget, get us out of the way. And now they have like some big questions, some deep, often philosophical questions. I, was at, I met with a man this week who was actually in the 8, eight o'clock service. And um, as far as I know, he's not a believer. Uh, he wouldn't really profess that. And he asked me the question this week because I invited him here. And he said, um, if God is real, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why doesn't God do something? Well, that is a great question, isn't it? And there's a good answer to that. There's, there's some other uh, big ones. Um, a lot of people uh, object to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. We're such an inclusive culture today that people are like, but Jesus is the only way. Are you sure that's the thing? So people struggle with the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. They, uh, a lot of people reject the reliability of this book. You're, you're preaching from an ancient document. We're modern people. We, we know more now. Or a lot of people are hung up on the faith versus science debate. 
Now, how many people would agree to me each one of those could be a separate sermon that we deal with things? And so you would also agree that you don't want me to go into all of that right now because we could be here a very, very long time. But I would also uh, say this. Um, There are good answers for all of those questions. Great answers that come from the Word of God. God's addressed all of it. There are reasonable arguments for all of it. And we could have that discussion. And if you're genuinely searching after God here today, then I would charge you with searching it out and asking the question and finding some of these answers uh, that God has for those very difficult questions. The greatest objection, if we're going to talk about objections that people have, though, the greatest objection, listen, is Jesus Christ himself. It's not the big philosophical questions. The biggest objection that people have is the simplicity of the gospel message itself. At every turn, the gospel's offensive. In fact, Jesus said that he is the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. It's the name of Jesus that gets people going squirrely when we say it. Now, I want us to think about this in in some detail. If, if we could boil the gospel down to just five words, here's how I would explain it to somebody. And you can see that at every, in every one of the five words, it's offensive. There's an objection. The first one is God. I mean, if you're going to come into a relationship with God, simple logic here, you have to believe there is a God. True? And so you have to believe there is a God. But a lot of people find that to be the first objection. Is there really a God? And some people fall off right at this point. Maybe 25 to 30% of Canadians would say there is no God whatsoever. About 70 to 75% of Canadians would say there is a God of some kind. And so right away, you lose some people here. This is the objection. But you have to start. If you want to be in a relationship with God, you have to start with an acknowledgement there is a God to reconcile with and to be in relationship with. Secondly, now we have to say something about humanity. Secondly, and some people will object here, humanity is sinful. In a general sense, all of humanity is tainted by sin. This world is tainted by sin. But as an individual, I also need to confess there is none who are good, not one, that I personally am a sinner. Once I've established these two things, but you can see where the objections are coming now, the third one is I need someone to die in my place because the condemnation of sin is death. And so Jesus Christ is that substitution. That's the third word. Now I must believe that God sent his son to live as a human being incarnate in the flesh, lived a sinless life, and gave himself on the cross a cruel, wicked death, unjust. But he gave his life as a substitution for you and for me. A lot of people object at that level because they simply don't believe in the historical Jesus. They don't believe in the Son of God coming to do that very thing. They don't believe in the atonement or the covering of our sin, the substitutionary death of Christ. But if you get past all of these now, the third one, you can give mental assent to that, but do you, here's the fourth word, do you believe it? Do you believe it? I mean, it has to go beyond just mentally agreeing I have to internalize and believe that Jesus Christ not only died on the cross, but he died on the cross for me. And I need to, this is the only thing that we bring to the table, just faith. Just believe it. And if you have this, finally you have life. Dan prayed about it. 
You have abundant life here. You have eternal life promised with God in heaven all eternity. And that's something that is beyond compare and what this world would offer to you. Five words that describe the gospel, and that really is where the main objective comes. Either people will surrender, understanding this, or they will not. And we need to get to the place where we're ignoring all objections. The world finds this message about Jesus offensive. They find the exclusivity of Jesus' offer offensive. They find the admission of guilt, of sin, offensive. Religions in the world, including versions of Christianity, find the simplicity of the gospel offensive because they're religions and they want to tell you that there must be ritual, there must be liturgy, there must be certain prayers, there must be a certain amount of giving, there must be all of this tradition built in and all of these works that help you gain your salvation. And it's a lie. Religion objects to the gospel. Because religion seeks to enslave. And so every objection possible is thrown up in the face of the simple offer of the forgiveness of sins by the grace of God received with a simple act of faith on your part. Now I found that one of the simplest ways to ignore the objections is to get to the basic facts of it, to simplify the input. In the 21st century, it is so hard to simplify the input. I mean, the fact of the matter is we have so much coming at us all the time. The radio, the television, the, the, the computer, the iPhone, it's always all on and, and putting information into our lives. And I think to a person we would agree, it's too much. I can't take it all, but how many of us are courageous enough to shut it off? It's like we've forgotten where the off switch is. And if you're going to really embrace this, if you're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ, you need to shut down all the other inputs, and you need to get down to one input. Listen, what does God say about it? What does God say about it? Could you quiet everything else? Could you quiet the objections of your friends? Could you quiet the objections of, of your family members? Could you quiet the objections of your own heart? Could you, could you quiet the preachers in your life? Including me. Quiet me. Just you and God. What do you say to me about it, God? What's the word about all of this? I want to help you with that. If you're considering a relationship with God, I want to give you right now, our ushers are coming up to the front, I'm going to give every one of you a gospel of John. I want every single person to take one. They're going to hand these out rather quickly down the aisle. Just take one and keep passing uh, the stack down the aisles. If you're a believer or an unbeliever, take one. If you're a believer, you're going to take one and you're going to pray about who you could give this to. 
And if you're here considering claims of the gospel today, then I want this to be for you. And I want you to read it, having quieted all the other voices, just to hear what God says. And I'm telling you, though I'm preaching through Luke right now, there's something special about the gospel of John and how God uses it in this way. That's why it's published separately like this. And this is what I would tell you if we could be undistracted in this moment and just listening for a moment. Just while everything else is going on, please just listen. If that is you and you're considering a relationship with God, before you open this book and begin to read it, that you would just pray a very simple prayer that would sound something like this. I just really feel like there's no risk to this. If, if, you, if you pray this and you read it and nothing happens, what is the risk in that? There's tremendous risk in not reading it, but there's zero risk in reading it. Maybe you could pray this, God, if you are real, an honest prayer, God, if you are real, and if Jesus really is the only way, then I'm open to hearing from you, and as I read this gospel, speak to me. That's it. Just pray that before you read this gospel and see what God might do with that. All right, I think we're almost done with the distribution. And um, this is more like, uh, you know, I know a lot of times when you get the giveaway, that's the end of things, but this is more like the Ellen show where we're giving something away, but there's still a lot of show to come, okay? <laughs> One more point to look at. Getting right with God means, you good for the third one? Everybody good? Coming to Jesus, getting right with God means coming to Jesus with childlike faith. Now, this is, this is the whole point of this little episode. To be able to hear the gospel and respond as you ought to requires, this is what Jesus is saying, it requires a certain quality of us. Verse 16, but Jesus called to them. He's calling to the parents who are carrying the babies. You, you picture him kind of calling around the disciples, okay? Let the children come to me. And you kind of feel like he's turning to the disciples here now and saying, don't hinder them. Can you picture him turning and looking at them? Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. So childlikeness in some way is a characteristic of God's kingdom. So that sounds like something we should figure out. And then he tells why that's so important. Verse 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Yikes. I mean, we're just having this nice little story about children, and all of a sudden people are getting in and some aren't. What Jesus is saying is that there's something about being an adult that messes with our ability to come into a relationship with him. I mean, that should be alarming because this room is like 99% adults. Being an adult is not all it's cracked up to be. Have you found that out yet? I mean, I'm 53. I've known that for a while. It's not all it's cracked up to be. It would do us well to kind of figure out where we're off the track a little bit and, 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 and seek to be more childlike. What are the things about being an adult that are making it hard for me? So I, I heard this little story. I think this is going to help. This is Emerson. Uh, his family, the Hoffmans, are part of our Harvest family here, and um, he's eager. 
He's eager. This is what I've learned about Emerson. And um, he comes to Awana on Wednesday nights. That's our kids' program. And uh, he was with his leader, his teacher, and there was a group of them, and they were talking about authorities, adult authorities in their lives. So the teacher was trying to get them to say, who are some adults in your life that are authorities? So they came up with, you know, like the standard fare, parents, teachers, police officers. They got all those ones. It makes sense. And then um, the teacher was trying to prompt for some more, dig a little deeper, think a little harder about adults in your life that are authorities. They weren't really getting anything else. And so the leader said, well, what about grandparents? And Emerson went, no. (laughs) Grandparents aren't adults. Now that's amazing. First of all, a couple of observations. Emerson obviously has awesome grandparents, correct? I mean, that's, that's a pretty obvious um, application of that. And, um, but here's the thing. Some adults, to Emerson, and he saw this, some adults can display some childlike characteristics that are more positive and more helpful. And, and I do get a sense like the older you get, the more you get a perspective on this. And so Emerson's helping us there. This is really Jesus' point. This childlikeness. But what exactly is it? We're left really to infer what the quality actually is because in this short episode in Luke's gospel, we're not actually given what it is. But we understand that the Gospels are put together very intentionally, that Jesus was teaching in a very intentional order, that the things that happened were ordained by him, that everything Jesus did had a purpose and it was driving us toward a greater understanding of what the kingdom is like. And so you have to believe that this little story about these children coming is perfectly placed in the gospel. So what comes before it is important and what comes after is important and it's going to inform everything else. So when you start to think about that, here, let me give you some things that are happening in Luke's gospel kind of around this. The passages before this have dealt with the topic of humility. Is this little story of these children coming related somehow to this message about humility? The one after this, we're going to look at next weekend, deals with not being attached to wealth, enamored with possessions, going after riches and how all of that can hinder your ability to get into a relationship with God. The whole section of Luke 14 to 18, in fact, deals with the matter of what genuine faith actually looks like. So really in those three things, I think we have our list. And so let's, let's think about this. As we lock down, what's the quality we need in order to have this childlike faith to come to the kingdom of God like a child? Children are more likely to, see if you agree with this, children are more likely to express faith rather than unbelief. Is that true? They come to faith rather easily. They trust Children trust instinctively. That's why parents have to teach their kids, don't get in a stranger's car. Stranger danger, right? We teach them that because instinctively they try. If an adult comes and says something to me, not a grandparent, obviously, but if, a, if an adult comes and says something, I have to listen to them. They trust instinctively. Well, that's obviously there's a danger to that in our world, but there's a very positive thing to that. They tend to be 
easier to the faith. If you can, without reservation, put your trust in God as an infant without reservation puts their trust in their parent. I mean, an infant isn't even thinking about it. They instinctively trust. And if you can do that, then you can be saved. Reconciled to God, belong to his kingdom. Children are more likely to express faith rather than unbelief. Children are more likely to be unattached to things. That is to say, they're generally not materialistic. I'm not talking about two four-year-old boys who are fighting over a dump truck and one gets bashed over the head by the other with the dump truck. Oh, you want it? <laughs> not talking about that. Again, the context is infants. Infants are not materialistic. They are not thinking about where the milk is coming from. They, they are not thinking about who's going to change their diaper. They're not thinking about what house they live in or where their bed is or how rich or poor they are. They're not thinking about it. Infants are 100% not materialistic. They are unattached to things. Adults, on the other hand... We are very attached to our stuff. I mean, we work hard. We earn a paycheck. We buy a house. We take care of our house. We like to see that house appreciate in value. We buy things that we fill the house with. We invest for our retirement. We buy toys and trinkets and we hang stuff on the wall. And when we have too much stuff to fit in our house, we go down the road and we rent a storage unit and we shove our stuff in there. We love stuff. Somehow, in the transition from childhood to adulthood, we lose the precious truth about God's kingdom and the advantage that we had as children. And when we're willing to let go of all of that, which again is next week's message, then we can receive God's favor. find life in Christ. All right, here's the third one. Children are more likely to be aware that they need help. In other words, children are humble. Children receive everything from others. Again, in their earliest years, this is especially true. And again, it changes as they get older. They cannot give, but they only receive. Adults are accustomed to something different than that. We're accustomed to giving and giving to get back. We live in a world of reciprocity. That hurts us. We think we have to earn God's favor. We think that to come to Christ, I need to change my life first. Wrong. Come with the entire disaster that is your life and lay it before him. We think that we have to buy it from God or we have to serve him in some way or we need to be in so many worship services before it takes. You don't have to do anything. It's so disarming and it goes so against our thinking as adults. You can't do anything to earn it. It's simply an expression of faith in Christ to believe in him and receive the life that he has for you. 
A child just simply does not think in terms of reciprocity or having to earn it. They're, kids are always willing to get a gift and just take it and run with it and play with it and enjoy it. That's what Jesus wants us to see. You know, as a side note to all of this, this is why we put so much investment in what goes on in the north end of the building. Because we know that it's more likely that a child will express their faith in Christ while they're a child and that the longer they spend growing up not having done it, the harder and harder it becomes for someone to come to faith in Christ. So we invest time and we invest energy and we put a, 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 a significant portion of resources into what we're doing in Awana and Harvest Kids and in youth and young adults. It's so much harder for an adult to work through all of the issues. It's so much harder for an adult to come like a child, to come to faith in Christ. That as an illustration of this, I'm, this is kind of cool. This happened, but 2017 was kind of like a crazy year, wasn't it here? It was a crazy year for us. So I want to introduce you to Regan Arnott, and she's sitting right there. And um, I got to thinking about this. We kind of missed this at the time it happened, but we're almost 17 years into being a church, and we're still experiencing all these firsts. And Regan is the first person to be born at Harvest, Dedicated at Harvest, I'm holding her there, back in 2004. Came to faith in Christ here and then was baptized in 2017 by Pastor Jordan over at Timothy. And so praise God for that, amen? From the very earliest days of her life, she heard the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ and she was able to come to faith in Christ not just like a child, but as a child. And that's why we want to continue to invest in the way that we are in the ministries that we do. It was, if I can use this word, and I don't mean for anybody to take it further, but it was easy, easier for Regan to come to Christ in that way, for any of our children to come to Christ in that way. And it is harder for an adult. But please understand, Jesus is laying it out there for us so that anyone can come. Anyone can overcome the objections. Any adult at any age with any amount of baggage or hardship or heartache can come to faith in Jesus Christ. No matter how old you are, it might be a little bit harder, but you can have this because Jesus told us, told us how. Come like a child. We're going to sing. Worship team's going to come on up here and join me uh, right now. We're going to sing a song to close off this amazing service and day together as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And here's what I want. We're going to sing about new life. We're going to sing about being alive. And my heart's desire is that every single person in my hearing will be able to sing every lyric of this song from experience because you believe it. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to stand and we're going to worship. Father, thank you so much for 
being with us today and for the experience of just your presence in this place, for the energy and the enthusiasm that we're feeling for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's been awesome to be together. Father, there's a very important word in front of us in our heart really right now would be for those in the room, those listening to this message who have experienced all that's gone on here today, but who have not yet expressed their faith to Christ, that today would be their day. That this moment, perhaps, they would confess their sin, trust in Jesus Christ, and find the forgiveness of their sins, and eternal life would be theirs. So, Father, please do that work in us. Again, thank you for giving us life through Jesus Christ and his resurrection, and we pray in his strong name. Amen.